This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, when all has been heard, in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. We are going to uh, hopefully minister to personal as well as professional and prophetic understanding. And I want your hearts to be touched as well as your heads. Fair enough? So I'm going to speak to you from my heart as well as my head. I'm going to tell you a little bit about my personal story as we begin. And I'm going to try not to rush because it's just hard to absorb information if it comes to in a flash flood. And I have too many slides. So we will see how far I get each day, but I'm going to try very hard to uh, minister to your needs. And I have a helper back here giving you a set of free 24 health tracks. And I'm going to have prayer right now. People are still uh, coming in, but I think we're about ready to get started and I like to be on time to respect your time. So let's just bow our heads and have prayer. And thank you to my helper back there. What's your name? George. George, where are you from? Hello. Really appreciate that. You just guard that door. And uh, I don't know at one point, if, if at one point we're supposed to shut the door. I, maybe not. I, I'm okay. Can you hear me even though the door is open? All right. Yep, free. Free stuff for people that come in. By the way, this particular PowerPoint is one of my home-crafted ones, but the ones that you will be seeing hereafter have been professionally developed. They are scripted. They're editable. They are translatable into other languages. Does that sound like a good idea? Because one of the, the, the uh, anointings that the Lord gave us, I am the health ministries director for the Michigan Conference. My husband, Dane, and I, my husband passed away several years ago, but the Lord... Uh, called us to produce soul-winning materials for you to use to go win souls. And I can't wait for you to see uh, how beautiful they are and how easy they are. And we build appeals into these. We deal with the 24 topics that you have in your hand with the Balanced Living Tracks. The tracks are <clears throat> also in a large size. This is, the, this is the large size right here. Isn't that nice for, for a meeting? And each one of those tracks has a scripted PowerPoint that is editable. So if you go to Albania or Italy or France, you can put these materials in the language, contextualize it to your own culture with the, your own statistics. And it, this is already being done in the Middle East and in India and various places. So I'm very grateful to let you know about this in relation to those tracks. So I hope you open your little package, look at all the topics. We don't just deal with uh, the standard health topics. We deal with topics such as lessons on loss, growth out of grief. Uh, is that an important topic, dealing with loss and brokenness of all kinds? What about who can I trust in a society where we are just hacked all the time? Uh, immune function, chronic pain. 40 million Americans suffer from chronic pain. What are the roots? Is there such a thing as a pain-prone personality? What can we do to dial down chronic pain? 
So this week you're going to have an opportunity to acquaint yourself with these things. They're available. I've brought a few that are available. We have our first 16 available, two sets of eight of these PowerPoints. We're working on the third set. And uh, in the next presentation, you'll be able to get a view of what they, of what they look like. But uh, this is my introductory program. I'm passionate about it. So as we begin, I would like for us to bow our heads and ask the Lord to be with us in a very, very special way. <clears throat> Father in heaven, thank you so much for this time that we can spend together. Please bless and open the heart of each and every hearer. Open my heart and mouth to speak your words because this is our moment together to seek you, to find you, to knock, and to hear. And so I pray that you will be with us and minister to our deepest needs, create that desire uh, and encouragement in our hearts that will propel us forward to your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Shh. Back there. Yeah, thanks. I'm a mom too, I get that. <laughs> All right, so the question that we are addressing today is how urgent is this message? Why health evangelism? Why personal health concerns? And why now? Why now? What we are living in a society and in a world where young children are being tutored and trained using dolls to behead. They're beheading their dolls in preparation to, to, to perform beheadings on Christians. We are living in a postmodern society where uh, we have just catapulted over the hill of despair. And so in the midst of this, why should we be talking about health? Why should we be addressing issues of wellness? You may be asking yourself, why is this woman doing this? Who does she think she is? She kind of looks like a librarian. <laughs> She's probably one of these people that lines their clothes up according to color. It's true. That part is true. She's probably really disciplined, and it's easy for her to tell people what to do. Well, it's, it is easy for me to tell people what to do, and I'm really praying about that. But being disciplined is a gift from God, isn't it? Amen? Temperance is not something, I'm the health, health and temperance director for the Michigan Conference and have been for 15 years. I've authored three books and we have all these PowerPoints and great stuff for you to use in evangelism. And I'll never forget the time that I was introduced in a church in, uh, in Alabama by the head elder. I was doing a program there that weekend. I don't know who got me into this church, but uh, it w there was not a groundswell of excitement about me being there, the health temperance director for the Michigan Conference. That's enough to clear a building. So I remember the head elder standing up front and saying, we're so glad, he was praying, we're so glad to have Sister Griffin here to talk to us about health. And the congregation said, amen. And then he said, now health, that's important, but salvation, that's the thing. And everybody shouted, amen. In other words, please go home. You know, we would just like you to leave. But here's the truth of the matter. I was not raised in this faith. 
I started running away from home when I was five. I came from an extremely violent home. I was beaten up all the time. My family was in the wine, wine industry. And so my theology at that time was of a, of a God who tyrannizes and throws people to hell for all eternity. And then their blaspheming in hell continues their sentence forever and ever and ever. So the combination of that belief plus being brutalized uh, so severely, <clears throat> I was very early on, I very early on lost belief in God. I started running away from home when I was five. By the time I was 11, I was a chronic runaway. I was in a lot of trouble. I was already running with bad people, doing bad things, already using drugs and smoking, already uh, developing a severe eating disorder. I developed bulimia, which I had for 20 years, from age 11 to age 31. I was about 25 pounds thinner than I am right now. I'd be throwing up about a dozen times a day. I was an atheist. I didn't care about living. Uh, if somebody had come to me and said, how would you like to ex extend your life for seven years by eating better? I would have said, are you kidding? That would sound like a sentence to me. A and so I still to this day never use that in my meetings. I just don't because not everybody really has a great idea about living a really long time. Now I understand from God's perspective, when you have him in your heart and his mission and his plan, that looks a little different. Um, but some of you can identify with what I'm talking about. I ran away for good when I was 17 years old. Fortunately, my grades were always really good because I would hide in libraries because they're really safe places and they're quiet. And nobody can yell. <clears throat> and maybe that's why I'm glad I look a little bit like a librarian. Uh, I ran away for good and I didn't come back. I came back a year later when I found out that my mother was dying of cancer. My father left home when I was quite young. She was uh, extremely abusive, but she's my mom. I loved her. So I came back to take care of her in, in Riverside, California. And one day when I was uh, taking her to one of her doctor's appointments, uh, we drove past a, a complex of buildings and the buildings weren't so hot, but the landscaping was beautiful. How many of you love beautiful landscaping and flowers? And it just does, it's, there's something freeing about it, isn't it? So I noticed the landscaping. And I, to the extent that I mentioned it to a friend of mine, and I told this friend of mine, there's this complex of buildings that has beautiful landscaping. I think it's um, an air conditioning and venting systems outfit that's open seven days a week because it's called Seventh Day Adventists. It must have something to do with venting systems. Well, my friend was a Christian scientist and she said, I mean, you're talking to the health ministries director here. What committee in heaven picked me to do this? This is the question that I would like to ask the Lord. So uh, anyway, she said, Vicki, that is not a, um, a venting outfit, a, a construction outfit. That is actually a college. It's a college, and it's called Seventh-day Adventists, and um, it's a university. And so I remember, as if it was yesterday, I said, well, anybody that landscapes like that can't be all bad. I think I'll go there. 
I mean, there was no reason. I didn't have a literature evangelist. There was no grandmother praying for me. There was nothing. I was just a blip on the screen, except Jesus ever lives to make intercession for everybody. And somehow, some guardian angel noticed me. And so I remember being so startled by that revelation. What a strange name. And I didn't ask her what it meant. I just liked the landscaping. I wanted to work on grounds. I was going to go there. Uh, and uh, she said, well, you know, they're, they're really not too, too wild about atheists. Uh, you're an atheist. And so she said, if you want to go to this school, they'll interview you. Because in those days, I don't know how it is today, but in those days, if you were not a Seventh-day Adventist, you had to have an interview with the president of the university. And she said, if you tell them that the body's a temple, they'll let you in. That's what she said. <laughs> and so I said, wow, you know, I didn't even ask her what that meant. I didn't care. I just wanted to go. And so I got, sure enough, I got my appointment with Dr. Osmondson. And I didn't tell him this story till I had that hot little degree in my hand, you know, several years later. But I went into his office, and um, I had perfume on to hide the smoke smell. And I, and I said, you know, Dr. Osmondson, I don't know too much about you people, but I really like the idea that the body's a temple. <laughs> and he put his arm around me and just gave me a big shake. And he said, I wish we had more young people like you on this campus. And I remember thinking, are they all this naive? That was so easy. And I was in. And I met my husband there, who was a backslidden Adventist, so he fell in love with me. And God, four years into our marriage, got hold of us. Because the unconverted heart is miserable. And 20, for 28 out of our 32 years of marriage, we were in full-time ministry for God. Amazing. So I'm so thankful. So for me, this message is what? It's urgent. It's life or death. I would not be here today. And, and you know, I, I run obesity clinics. I've written three books. And a lot of what we do is oriented toward the brain and brain health. And when I do research in science, I'm always looking for God. What does this tell me about God? And as we learn through this series of of courses that we're going to take about the brain-body connection and about how God designed you and me for renewal, recovery, and restoration, we will learn that, health, that hope is the heart of health. Hope. You know, you may not live a long time. You may not get your deliverance, but you can have victory over anything because God has planted hope in your heart. Hope for eternal life. Hope for adding value to your life. Hope for change. Amen? So, with that little background, let's just take a look at this from a prophetic sense. How many of you have heard of the author Uriah Smith? How many of you have heard of that author? He wrote a book, two books actually, now it's combined into one, Thoughts on Daniel and Thoughts on the Revelation, Daniel and the Revelation by Uriah Smith. Ellen White says that those who would read this book would have a new religious experience. Put away cheap sentiments and read that book. How many of you have a copy of that book? Well, in that book, 
there is an amazing chapter on Revelation chapter 14. And in the trumpets, how many of you are familiar with Revelation's seven trumpets? The history of the fall of the Western Roman Empire is chronicled in the first four trumpets. The last three trumpets chronicle the fall of the Southern and Eastern Roman Empire, and the third trumpet is the fall of the world. We are in the seventh trumpet. We're in the seventh trumpet. And so in Revelation chapter 14, at the beginning of this great, amazing movement that God has bequeathed to you and I, the angels of, of Revelation chapter 14 are, are depicted as flying where? In the midst of heaven with what kind of voice? Confident. What kind of gospel? Eternal. And it's a call out of error. The nominal churches who had newly come in, uh, uh, into, the into the Reformation still had doctrinal errors that were deadly to spirituality, deadly to uh, influences that would bring mysticism and spiritualism into their midst. Specifically, the non-immortality of the soul versus the, the, um, the immortality of the soul, this, this pagan platonic doctrine that I was raised with. And so God, in this early time, is calling the nominal churches out of this deadly error, and it's an announcement that the hour of the judgment has come. So it's really interesting, if you look in Revelation, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 8, verse 13, I looked and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the last three angels which are about to sound. So how many trumpets when the at the close of the Reformation, uh, when, it, when everything transferred to the United States and the blooming of our three angels' message, how many trumpets remained? How many trumpets remained? That's right. And so the Bible says in Revelation chapter 10, verse 7, it says, In the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished. And we are in that. The, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 11, verse 14, the second woe is past, and behold, the third woe comes quickly. So the day, hour, month, and year prophecy culminated August 11, 1840. That was the culmination of the second woe trumpet. Thank you, Nicole. That was the culmination of the second woe trumpet, and the third comes when? Quickly, four years later, the investigative judgment began. You may be thinking, Vicki, I thought you were going to talk about peanut butter. Why are you talking about this to me right now? Here's the reason I'm talking to you about it. Because at the beginning of the investigative judgment, God used the most time-specific prophecy in all the Bible, the sixth trumpet, the fall of the Ottoman Empire, the saber-rattling of the Muslim powers to signal the opening of the investigative judgment. Are you with me? He used Muslim powers to signal the opening of the investigative judgment, which began when? 
October 22, 1844. Because the, the movements of other powers are by stealth. This was very visible, it was documentable, it was recorded, and you can read about it in the Great Controversy. The reason that I'm telling you about this, brothers and sisters, is because I believe with all my heart that as we are in the seventh trumpet, we are no longer at the beginning of this message, a call out of error. We are now at the end of the investigative judgment, the close of human probation. And God is again, in my view, using the Muslim powers to signal the close of the investigative judgment, the close of human probation. Are you, are you tracking with me? He used a Muslim event to signal the opening of the investigative judgment, which began four years after 1840. The second woe was passed. The third is coming when? Quickly, 1844. And now here we are when in, in Revelation chapter 18, I believe we are at the end of this series of events. We talk a lot about Revelation 14 and the three angels message. I personally believe that we have shifted to Revelation 18 and the end of this series of events. Do you feel the sense of urgency today in your hearts with events that are occurring. And I believe thousands and thousands of Muslim uh, people who are unhappy with their present experience will be saved. This isn't a commentary against Muslims. It's God using movements to signal where we are in history. So the, in Revelation 18, there is a shift that occurs. There's another angel that joins that th third angel. It's the fourth angel of Revelation 18, and he comes with what? Great authority, crying how? Mightily. And now, what happens? The earth is illuminated with his glory. The Bible tells you and me in Isaiah chapter 60, Rise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. Wow, what an opportunity we have. What an opportunity. In fact, in Joel chapter 2, God's people, our experience, is likened and compared to a sun rising. You know, we want everything right now, don't we? We want to get fixed right now. We want to think right right now. We want to achieve our goals right now. We want to be perfect right now. But the Bible compares our walk with God as a sun rising. The flesh is a sparkler. We want instant results right now, and we get discouraged very, very quickly when we operate on that basis. And that's why one of our meetings is called Mindset Matters, how to develop a learning versus a fixed uh, mindset. It's not about win or lose, it's about win and learn. Win and learn. And so the spirit is an investor. The spirit is an investor. He's investing in you. Did you ask God's spirit to invest in you this morning? You're making an investment in him, and he's investing in you. And it accrues over time. But my prayer for us in our meetings is that we learn not just to have a sense of satisfaction when we reach our goal, but I want you to have joy in your journey. Is it possible to have joy in your journey? Is it possible to experience joy when you're being corrected by God and learning about your mistakes and your flawed character? Is it possible? Well, it better be because the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. And do you think when I gave my heart to God that I was instantly patient, nice, sweet, knew how to talk to people, unselfish, kept my mouth shut? I'm still reading books on this topic. But here's the clinch. 
Now, this, this spiritualism has come to full corruption. The Bible says that these churches are now filled with every foul spirit and have become a hold and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. So spiritualism has put on the garbs of sanctity. You've heard of the book, uh, Heaven is for Real. Uh, nothing against the people who wrote this or the little kid that had these out-of-body experiences where he went to heaven. But these, these books are being promulgated to children. There are Sunday school lessons being taught about these heaven experiences. It's in the news. It's in secular news. And, uh, and so our, our timing for this message is very, very important because when I stand up and tell you that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, it means something to you because you understand that you don't have a soul, you are a soul. There's only two kinds of souls, a dead soul and a living soul. But without that worldview, me telling you that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit means very little. If you have an Indian background or a Muslim uh, fatalism background or Krishna or evangelical, the body is just a, a corrupt suitcase holding the immortal soul. So do you see how urgent it is that we learn how to teach our testing truths with our message? Otherwise, it just doesn't have any hold. I have a friend, a Baptist preacher, lives in North Carolina. Well, he's probably passed away now. He's, he was quite old at the time. But he, he was a, a precious man, a pastor of a Baptist church, ran a little small machine uh, repair shop in North Carolina. A friend of mine used to get her stuff repaired there, and they had a potbelly stove, and in the winter they'd sit and, and warm themselves and just talk things over. Well, Jimmy was a heavy smoker, Pastor Jimmy. And my friend Cindy, who was an Adventist, she, she kept in and out of the hospital, and, and, and she, she said, Jimmy, don't you think the Lord wants you to stop smoking? And his response was, well, when the Lord calls my name, you know, I'll be there. I'll go to glory. My soul will be released from my body, and I'll just go to glory. And she was real sweet, and they were good friends. And she said, well, Jimmy, God must not like smokers very much because he seems to call their number a lot sooner than everybody else's. And he got the message. And so it, is, it behooves us to understand that this is not just about lab tests and getting well. It's, it is about adding value to our lives. But we have a much greater trumpet sound to give this message. And that is helping people to realize the great and grand testing truths of this time. Are you with me? It's a commitment. It's time to leave the ranks of the concerned and join the committed. And God will use human suffering and woe and agony in order to reach and touch hearts so that we can teach these amazing truths. Sometimes we get fixated on fixing people. And then if they die or if they don't achieve their goals, they're discouraged, they go away, they don't come back to your meetings. Do you agree with me that we need to have meetings with such a tone that if someone knows they're going to die, they still want to come and be at your meeting. Can you present a meeting like that? Do you want someone who's dying of a brain tumor to want to come to your meeting? Do you? Or do you only want the people that can get well? I want them all to come. I want them all to come. So the call is, come out of her, my danger. It's my, my people. It's not the hour of judgment. It's the end of judgment. 
Every indicator tells us that this is so. So on the negative side of the ledger, there's increased danger, risk, more trials, greater persecution, and increased risk of death. But on the positive side, God has promised to give us power to fill us with his glory. And we will have better efficacy, so what we do will be more efficient, and we will have a greater reach. And in the end, eternal life. How many of you agree that our own salvation is wrapped up in this? Our own salvation is wrapped up in this kind of sharing. So let courage rise with danger. I love this. What can be a better preparation for the what? For the coming of the Lord and the reception of other truths. And the reception of what? Other truths. Essential to prepare a people for his coming than to arouse the people to see the evils of this age. And we're going to be looking at some very specific things in these classes. The battle is not for the bulge. It's for the brain. It's not about weight control. It's about appetite control. And that's a brain thing. So we're going to look at that brain today and to stir them to reformation from self-indulgent and unhealthful habits. Is not the world in need of being aroused on the subject of health reform. Now, health reform in the, in the 1800s, it meant a very positive thing. Just like in the 80s or 90s, health revolution would be the, the, the phrase. Maybe today we would think of health innovation, uh, health revelation. I love this. This is so very important. If people see that we are what? Intelligent with regard to health, they will be more ready to believe that we are sound in Bible doctrines. Friends, if we were putting together a tract on the rapture, would we be careful what we put in that tract? Would we be punctilious to be, make sure that we were accurate with the scriptures? And yet sometimes we hold health meetings. We find, you know, the thing about Google or the thing about the web, you can believe anything you want because you can find it on the web. And so if we, and if we have meetings that are not grounded in good science, good physiology, that are rational and balanced. And we're going to talk about this in our last meeting. And we have a very special guest speaker to do this, this last meeting. How many of you know Dr. Zeno, Charles Marcel, Dr. Zeno? He's amazing. He's from the General Conference, and he is taking my Sabbath afternoon meeting. So you are in for a real treat to get to hear him. But he's going to talk to us about accuracy and balance in our message because people who know better will be repulsed and driven away from the very truths that we're supposed to be introducing. Just because we do something gimmicky and sensational to get people to come, and they will come, but it will drive away the people that know better. That's not a good idea. I remember one time being greeted at the church door. I was there for Sabbath morning to have some meetings, and a contingent met me at the door. And I'd never seen these people. And I, I got to the door. They didn't even say hello to me. They met me, and they said, what is your position on microwaves? Uh, they said, our church is divided. Half the church won't come to potluck because of microwaves. People are warming the food in microwaves. Well, the problem that I had is I did not know which group I was talking to. And so I just, you know, I just said, uh, well, I guess it depends on if you're microwaving a sweet potato or a Pop-Tart. <laughs> can I come in? It's chilly. <laughs> so, you know, we can get into all kinds of minutia. 
when really the truth is, if most people would just switch from Pop-Tarts to peaches, they're going to just really see some good effects. Amen? So we need to be so careful. The Bible says, Have I not written to you excellent things in counsels and knowledge that I, make, that I may make you know with certainty the words of truth? Science, true science and inspiration are in perfect harmony, and they were given to us to, to, to display God's beautiful character and to draw people into our larger message. So important. So that you may answer the words of truth to those who send for you. Ellen White says that light seekers will be brought to light bearers. One of the reasons that we've put all these materials together and researched them and documented them with full index medicus referencing, but beautiful pictures and headlines so that if all someone does is read, look at the pictures, they're going to get the message. If all they do is read the little headers, they're going to get the message. But if they want to dig deeper and, and look up the studies, they have that as well. And my colleague Evelyn Kissinger and I are both members of the American Dietetics Association, now called the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. And we do this so that you can go out and share with others without making yourself or your church liable to, uh, to unintended consequences and bring a lawsuit uh, on your church. And here I have a nurse here who's shaking her head, yes. You know, you stick a diabetic's feet in hot water uh, and if gangrene sets in, you know, so we have, to, we have to study. We can pray, and we can feel that zeal in our hearts, but we have to learn. We have to add value to our lives. And when we add value to our own lives through discipline and study, then we are equipped to add value to other people's lives. It's a slow process. It's boring, and it's monotonous, but it brings great results. Paul, this is not a new message, Paul reasoned with Felix concerning what? Righteousness by faith, the health message, biblical living, and end time prophecies, judgment to come. And I think it's so interesting because Felix struggled with this for two and a half years. It wasn't just an uh, immediate response. He struggled over this. It was so powerful. And the neat thing about the way this is positioned is that righteousness by faith leads to, to biblical living principles in our, from our heart. We start to live differently. And when we are living differently, then we can step into the larger prophetic message because we have the faculties to understand. The interesting thing is, uh, I have a statement in my Bible. Where did my, here it is. If I can find it real quickly. Uh, we're told in inspiration I don't have it right here in front of me. But we're told in inspiration that when our brains are clogged through inordinate diet, the sacred special truths for this time become as idle tales that the mind cannot even absorb or comprehend. So I work with pastors to help them understand that if the participants at our meetings are not being educated to, to more healthy habits, they're, as much as they may love what they're hearing, it's really not going to have much of an effect. Ellen White says, Satan can easily snatch away the good seed that was planted because the brain cannot comprehend 
these truths and that some will not understand the importance of this message until the plagues are falling on their shelterless heads. May that not be any of us. May we not get discouraged if we have a food addiction or problems of like that. I can't even imagine where I was and what my brain looked like under imaging when I was 17, 18, 19 versus what it looks like now and what it will look like maybe later, hopefully better. How many of you would like to have a more beautiful brain under imaging? More beautiful. Three people. Put your hand up if you want a more beautiful brain. The Bible says the Father's name is going to be written in our foreheads. All right, what does that mean? What it means is that your brain is going to look more like a healthy brain because there's no other place that God can speak. And the brain is constantly remodeling itself according to what it learns. And we're going to talk about the brain in another session. Intemperance lies at the foundation of how much evil in our world? All of it. And it alone is the foundation of all the graces that come from God and all the victories to be gained. I carry, um, I carry a little seed packet with me. This is one I created myself. My nephew is a seed scientist. My nephew Michael. He lives in Santa Barbara. And I, I love botany. I love landscaping. I love, you know, when I get really overwhelmed, I'll say, God, don't you just really want me to work at a nursery and transplant moms? Isn't it like time for me to do this? And he has not said yes that it's time to do that yet. That's something that I would love to do. So when I go out to see Michael, we go out for walks together, and I'll say, Michael, look at this, in Santa Barbara, look at this, look at this grass. Is it a fescue? What is it? How does it reproduce? Is it a weed? Is it a flower? And he'll say, Aunt Vicki, I don't know, I'd have to see the seed. If I saw the seed, I could tell you if it's alive or dead or sick or even what kind of plant it is. And I'll, I'll just say, Michael, have you ever even picked up a spade in your life and planted anything? No. No. I mean, the world needs people like that. But the Bible says that when we receive Christ, we receive him in his fullness. Of his fullness, you have received. It doesn't feel like it, does it? I mean, we just trip and stumble and have character flaws and the work has just begun. Well, here's why it doesn't feel like it. Because we receive it in the form of seed. And we've got to nurture that seed. We've got to grow that seed. How many of you have bought old seed from last year? It's always discounted at least 50%. Why? Because when it stays in the packet, what happens to it? It loses its viability. The germinating principle just dies. And it dies in the packet. So we can receive the fullness of Jesus Christ. We receive it in the form of seed. It's in you. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, meekness. I had to look that one up. That did not seem useful to me. Temperance. Temperance is not something that you do. It is a character trait of God that he implants in the heart. And if it wasn't, I'd be sunk. And I received it in the form of seed. But if I neglect, if I neglect, nurturing and watering that seed, it starts to die. So are you motivated now to start cultivating that seed the way you would cultivate your garden? 
the relation that exists between the mind and the body is what? It is very intimate. When one is affected, the other sympathizes. The mind is seriously affected by what we eat and drink. Erroneous eating and drinking results in erroneous thinking and acting. Now, I am not an enemy of having a cookie. So just get that out of your mind right now. But here's the thing. These cookies look like hubcaps. And we're not having an occasional little something. As a culture, we're having a birthday party for breakfast, Christmas for lunch, Thanksgiving for dinner, Fourth of July before we go to bed. Lots of fireworks. Lots of fireworks, but not the kind that we want. We have now hit a record in sugar consumption, 100 pounds a year per person. When I first put my um, information on this together, it was 60. It's gained by 40 pounds a year. 100 pounds a year. We're going to learn more about how that affects depression risk and addictions later on. This is from Nutrition Reviews. Can what you eat influence what? Mental function. The answer is certainly what? Affirmative. Now, from a science journal, that's, that's a hard phrase to find. It, it may, might be associated, more studies are needed, it's not abundantly clear, this was a small cohort, they go on and on and on and on. This one says absolutely. And there are scores of others that say the same. This is an interesting statement. Repeated poor food choices set fundamental patterns in the production of brain chemicals that regulate appetite and what? Mood. What drives us to the chips, chops, and lollipops? Mood. Often it's mood. So that you become a victim of mood swings, food cravings, and poor sleep habits, and other emotional problems because of poor eating habits. So it's not about a single food. It's not about an elimination as much as it is about filling and being full with those good things, and it displaces those addictive substances. Are you with me? So to make man whole, what do we do? How, what is our approach? What is the paradigm that we oper operate from? This is uh, the purpose of this first meeting is to pull that camera back and take a look at the big picture of how we approach people, how we approach the topic. Uh, we don't use any one thing as a bully pulpit because people are not just made up of what they eat or a habit or a lab test. They're human beings with challenges and problems and uh, needs and genetics. So health, the heart of health is what? It's hope. Because without hope, knowledge crushes. Mencius, the Chinese sage, said, knowledge imparts information, but not the power to execute. Have you ever left a meeting with so much information and, and it wasn't given wings and you're just crushed under it? Have you ever had that happen where you're actually discouraged with so much information? So that the question is, is information are you consuming information or is information consuming you? The most important thing is that we combine information with education, motivation, and inspiration. If we don't, if we don't add 
motivation and inspiration to education, it becomes a weapon that the enemy uses to hurt and destroy and cut and discourage. So God gives us hope in our habits. The Bible says he's able to subdue all things. Hope in our hindrances. Paul said, I forget those things which are behind and I'm stretching forth with every power, pressing on to, to a greater knowledge of Jesus Christ. The Lord wants to teach us how to press into Christ, press through the trouble, press on to victory. Perseverance wins the day. It's the badge of saints and it's the thing that we do most poorly. I was a quitter and a runaway, and I still tend to have, that just tends to be my default. And when Dana and I were first married, if we'd have problems at a church, something would happen, somebody would say something that would hurt my feelings, I'd say, okay, Dana, that's it. You know, let's just move. I mean, we just got to get out of here. And he, he came up from a really nice family, nice, you know, they ate dinner without throwing their plates at each other and stuff. So they're really nice people. And, and he didn't even, couldn't even comprehend my reaction to problems. And he'd say, Vicki, you know, there's a problem. These nests of people are everywhere. You know, we're just not going to get away from it. They're all over the place. And in addition, we're people, and we're a problem too. And so uh, he just dug down. Uh, we, we, he wouldn't move every time I told him we needed to pull up stakes and move. So I was very thankful for his influence. Hope in our heartaches. Jesus is the comforter, and we are his hands to comfort others as well. And hope for heaven. That's, the Bible says that that is where our citizenship is. And if you read that third trumpet, the very next verse says, Now is come, to, come the dominion and power and glory of our Lord forever and ever and ever. Amen. We are citizens of another land. Things don't square up in this world. It's not fair. It's not right. Stuff happens. God told Job, you know, you can't even domesticate a donkey. Go ahead and solve the sin problem, the suffering problem. Put a hook in Leviathan's nose. Do you think I don't get this, Job, about evil? When I lost my husband to a very, very rare cancer that kills only 1,200 people a year, he was pleading as he was dying, Lord, one more project for thy cause. The most godly man, loved the health message. People would wait in line. I remember a lady waited in line after I finally got up enough courage to have a, a, a meeting after going through this devastation of this amazing man, this loss of my, my soulmate for life. She waited in line after I did a meeting to ask me, what did he do to get this? Another person said, well, God knows what you need. And I remember saying, couldn't he have started by breaking my nose? You know, and if that didn't work, then let's go to the next thing. So we have to be so very careful because the book of Job tells us that with this evil situation we're in in this world, cause and effect patterns fall apart. Now, having said that, can we reduce unnecessary suffering? But do we need to qualify what we say so that people don't, aren't just whiplashed at our meetings. They may have kidney filtration problems from their mother who had the flu at a certain stage of gestation that gives them high blood pressure. It may not have anything to do with how many vegetables they're eating. So do we need to be gentle 
and careful and qualify what we say. You know, Jesus prayed for deliverance from his father from the cross with strong prayers and crying and tears. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 5 that God heard him in that he feared. Now, did Jesus go to the cross? The Bible says in, in uh, Psalms, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. The very next verse says, not a bone of his was broken. That was a prophecy about Jesus. So the juxtaposition of that scripture is so unusual. It made, I thought about it for a long time. It's an audacious claim with a, with a prophecy next to it. What does it mean? Well, Jesus prayed for deliverance. The Father heard him. He was not delivered from his cross, but he had victory over it. You may not be delivered from cancer. You may not get that instant job. You may not be delivered from that pesky relative, but you can have victory over it. That's the promise. What the Lord doesn't deliver you from, he'll give you strength. Here's a prayer that God always answers. He's either going to solve your problem so that you can enjoy, for me it's a bubble bath. He's going to solve your problem so you can enjoy your day or he'll make you bigger to meet it. Now where we are in Earth's history, which option, which option do we want? What's the one we want? We want him to fix things so that we just can you know, have a life smooth as grease. But what's the one we're going to get more often? He's going to make you, what, bigger to meet it, to meet it, and to trust your Heavenly Father when you don't understand. What a precious gift that is. The very essence of the gospel is restoration, and the Savior would have us bid the sick, the hopeless, and the afflicted take hold upon his strength. We need to have a wider definition of what restoration means. It's a whole person experience. The Savior went from house to house, healing the sick, comforting the mourners, soothing the afflicted, speaking peace to the disconsolate. He took the little children in his arms and blessed them and spoke words of what? hope and comfort to weary mothers. With unfailing tenderness and gentleness, he met every form of human woe and affliction. The Bible says that he has carried our griefs. You know, we grieve over maybe a child that's in rebellion. We grieve over a loss. We gr I have a friend who has grieved for years over the loss of a leg from an accident. She was hit by a drunk driver. She has constant pain. She's a pastor's wife. She said, Vicki, that man, she said, I spent more time in the hospital than he spent in jail and he was never sorry. What a journey she's had in her life. We can't write the script in life. But he carries our griefs. Even our emotional resources belong to God. And we can only grieve so much for so long. And if we don't put a barrier around even our grief, our battery life gets so short that we will, that we will just die out ourselves. So we've got to guard that. He carries that grief. It was his meat and drink to bring hope and strength to all with whom he came in contact. We are to learn his method of laboring. I want to introduce you to Jerry Scheel. He's going to be uh, at our camp meeting in Michigan this year. I was doing a training. Is it time for me to quit?
Is this, what time are we supposed to be done? I have 10 minutes? Great. Jerry, I did this, uh, we created this program called Living Free. This is the book, Living Free, Finding Freedom from Habits That Hurt. Isn't it beautiful? And it's, it covers all kinds of addictions, including food addiction. It's a lifestyle book. And we have a whole box of, it's a six session seminar with PowerPoints and DVDs so that you can hold an addictions program, <clears throat> a living free program in your church. Well, I was doing a training at NAD in Florida and Jerry shows up with a van full of Canadians. He's Canadian. He comes into my class. I'm supposed to do 15 hours of training. And he introduces himself and he says, you know, I'd like to, to share in your class. I would like some time to share. Well, I've never seen this guy in my life. He walks in just like that and wants to take my class. So I started to backpedal a little bit. Well, I'm so glad you're here. Look at this van full of people. How nice. You know, it's a tight schedule. Lots to accomplish. Maybe we can get squeezed three to four minutes in for you. I thought, how much damage can he do in three to four minutes? So he stands up and starts to talk. And when he gets going, I just sit down and I said, I think I wrote this whole thing for you. Just finish the class. <laughs> He's never been through a training. Here's his story. He was a bad boy. When he was a little kid, he, his first crime was taking money out of the offering plate. And he was just downhill from there. Very, very brilliant, kind of ADD kind of guy. Created some software program, left the church, created some kind of elite software program for athletes, for uh, physical therapy. Went to Hollywood, was making a lot of money. He was a model, uh, partied with all these people. He got addicted to everything, in his words, everything. So he finally is tired of being in the pig pen. He goes to a pastor in Canada. And I had just held a program there. And the, our Living Free program, see the box? It's a box. So this pastor, he goes to this pastor and he says, I'm addicted to everything and I want to be free. Well, the pastor was just what do I do with this guy? So he picks up the box, which is meant to hold a six session program. And he says, I have this box. And if you take this box home and do what's in this box, you'll be free. Well, it's not meant to be used that way. But Jerry took the box home. He went through all the DVDs. He went through the handouts. He went through the PowerPoints. He read the book. He did the answer sheets. And guess what happened? He got free. He got free. This is 10 years ago. So now he comes back to Canada. He's working with a homeless guy. And the homeless guy says, you know, Jerry, you're amazing with people. You, you love God. You love people. You're free. You need to be in ministry. Jerry decides to start doing living free programs full time and doing some construction on the side to facilitate that. If he, if he does a program in a rich church, he charges them. If he's in a poor church, he doesn't charge them. He's doing this at non-Adventist churches. He has non-Adventist leaders from other denominations coming to his back door to go through the Living Free program. And I have pictures on my cell phone of his house filled up with people. And I, I talked to him recently. I said, Jerry, I'm so stressed. This little girl was getting baptized in our church. And I said, I, you know, she's lonely, shy. I didn't think she had many friends. I said, bring your little friends over. We'll have a celebration lunch. 
30 people. She invites 30 people to my house to eat. I said, I don't even know what to do. I'm getting a migraine just thinking about it. He said, Vicki, it's so easy. He said, I, have, I, I run a living free program every month. I have people every Sabbath. He says, if they want something, just tell them where to get it. He said, it'll make them feel part of the family. Just don't sweat it. He's just a, a very unique guy. Uh, and I kind of did that, and I did pretty good. It was fun. So Jerry, here's Jerry. He meets this man named Roger. Roger is a retired Royal Air Force pilot who has fallen into depression and hard times. He has taken up the gin habit. This is, his this is his apartment. So Jerry approaches Roger when he sees his apartment, and he says, Roger, would you like to be free? This is his place. And Roger says, yeah, I want to be free. And so Jerry says, well, you know what? I have this box. And if I go to your house, and if we go through this box, you'll be free. He says, I'm in. And now, if you, as a nurse, looking at this, what would you think the likelihood of this man actually being successful? It's, you, you know, we have too much education to, to understand what God can do. So here he is. They start to clean up. This is his counter full of the gin bottles. They start to clean up the mess. They start to purge the house of stuff. There's the box. There's my colleague Evelyn talking about dietary fiber and the brain. And he's going through his cereal, cereal boxes, making sure each serving has so many grams of fiber. And, and uh, then we talk about creating an environment that calls you in a pro positive direction. This is his external environment. That I, he doesn't have a pretty ceramic bowl like I do at home. But this, these are his first steps. They're going through. This is him. Look. Look at his table back here. And look at the self-respect that this man got back. His kitchen. He joined a Bible study group. After a year, he went to Jerry. And he said, Jerry, you know, I really need a job now. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to work. Well, this is the cab that he used to take to the liquor stores to get his gin. He and uh, Jerry knelt down and prayed, and God gave him a job driving that cab. So every time he got in that cab, it reminded him of what God had done for him. Can you say amen? amen. Is anything too hard for God? God is in the business of turning messes into miracles. He knew what he was getting into when he called you. The Spirit of the Lord is upon you and me because he's anointed us to heal the brokenhearted, preach deliverance to captives, recovering of sight to the blind, and set at liberty them that are bruised. Now, this is a stunning statement. We have three minutes left, and we're close on time. Look at this. Knowledge. Benevolence. What is benevolence? What is benevolence? It's kindness. Selflessness. Knowledge, benevolence, eloquence, gratitude, and zeal are all what? Aids in the good work. But without the love of Jesus in the heart, the work of the Christian minister is a failure. I want to tell you this statement brought me to my knees in tears. Search me, O God. Try my heart. Help me to really see people the way you do. You know, it's really easy to be humble when we're wrong.
but how do you behave when you're right? That's the big test. How do you feel about people that are wrong and who have wronged you? We can feel wrong and do right. So it's a body, mind, and spirit message, and it is, it is only through the grace of Christ that this work of restoration, physical, mental, and spiritual, can be accomplished. But the blessing bounces back to you. Strength, your own strength to resist evil is best gained by aggressive service. It doesn't say aggressive servants. Dane and I used to be like Attila and Mrs. The Hun. After I lost Dane, someone came to me several years later and she said, Vicki, you're saying the same things, but you're saying them a lot differently. That's a piece of gold. I'm so thankful. I just hope no TV stations get hold of some of those old programs. <laughs> Here's another promise for you and me. All, how many? All who consecrate soul, body, and spirit to God will be constantly receiving a new endowment of physical and mental power. This work that we are engaged in, God promises it will be highly successful. He makes himself responsible for its accomplishment. All of us need to be instructed and encouraged. Many, many will be rescued from physical, mental, and moral degeneracy through the practical influence of just caring about people, showing them basic, simple habits. Health talks will be given, publications done, and people will advance step by step to receive what? Here we are, full circle, right back. The special truths for this time. We must never take our eye off the reason why we do this. This is no time to say, woe is me, like Isaiah. This is time to say, here I am. Here I am. This time, the true educators will have their reward. Now is our time. Now is our opportunity to do a blessed work. This is no time to put a do not disturb sign on the Holy Spirit in our own lives or laboring for others. Remember, friends, you are the light of the world. And the Bible says that a bruised reed and a smoking flax, he will not, what? <sighs> Quench. You may, your flame may be so low that it's sending smoke and it creates a stench. But the Bible says he will fan it to life through his spirit. Well, how many of you would like that experience today? To have that flame fanned to life and to fan it to life in those with whom you come in contact. Our next meeting is God's peace plan. We, uh, you, you lose your peace, you lose your power. Force four parts to God's peace plan. So let's, uh, let's stand as we have prayer, and we will meet again next time. Father in heaven, how thankful we are for the wonderful promises, the special truths, the testing truths, the work of your spirit to comfort and guide and strengthen and reprove. Lord, give us the faculties and the strength that we need. You were able to strongly work with Peter. You could hardly touch Judas. He was too fragile. Lord Jesus, help us to be strong for you, to listen to your voice. Give us the desire. Help us to see the mold of selfishness in our hearts that destroys our own peace and happiness. Help us to be willing to invest in the work of improving ourselves so that we can bless the lives of others. In Jesus' name, amen. This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, When All Has Been Heard, in Houston, Texas. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, 
and soul-winning Christians. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.